0: So, we have been in a series called More, uh, where we've been stepping into, as a community, what it means for us to experience all that the Holy Spirit has for us. So, this will be a two part series. And so, part one, which we've called Waiting on the Holy Spirit, has been our uh, attempt to begin to grow our expectation and understanding of the ways that the Spirit works within the church. And so we've been looking at, like last week, prophecy. We've been looking at these things called spiritual gifts, or arguably better translated, the stuff the Spirit does. Um, we've been um, fostering a desire for the Spirit. We, we added multiple weeks to the front beginning of this series just to like, um, prime our hearts for an actual desire of the stuff that the Spirit does in the church and, and for the Spirit himself. And so um, today, being Pentecost Sunday within the church calendar, when we kind of remember the church's like birth, when the church really got going 2,000 years ago on that first Pentecost Sunday. Um, What's interesting is this was actually originally intended to be the like end of part one. We were supposed to start part two next week, you mean, right? Like waiting on the Holy Spirit, and we were going to build up to Pentecost, just like the you know original disciples. And then we had all these extra weeks that we added, and so um, we've got a few more weeks after this. I'm sorry, but um, one of the things that's it's exciting is by stepping into the Pentecost story this this week is um, we actually bring us right into um, the topic that we're going to be looking at today, that that, um, work of the Spirit called tongues. So just to get us going, both setting up for a conversation on tongues or languages, but also Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. You'll see it behind me. Let me just read this for us. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And as the disciples, suddenly a wind like that of a violent rushing wind came out of heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven, when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus, in Asia, Persia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues, our own languages. They were all astounded, and they were perplexed, and they said, what does this mean? We hear them all, like I said, in the end of verse 11, declaring these magnificent acts of God. So just as we step into the beginning of this, okay? Pentecost Sunday, what we're celebrating today, the Holy Spirit fills and empowers the church, and what is the primary sign here that the Holy Spirit has showed up? Rushing wind, flames, but also what? Speaking in tongues, right? So jump with me over to Acts chapter 10. You'll see it behind me. While Peter, this is a few years later, Peter's on a missionary journey, while he was preaching a sermon, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The the ones hearing the sermon were circumcised believers who had come with Peter, and they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles." For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. So once again, here we are a couple years later. Peter is preaching a sermon to Gentiles, non-Jewish crowd. They hear the message. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues, yes? Acts 19, one more. Oh, then Peter responded. Oh, Nope, okay, cool, that was my fault. Um, Acts chapter 19, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Uh, so this is Apollos in Corinth. Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to the city of Ephesus. He found some disciples and said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. They're like, we just skipped that week at like Sunday school. Into which then, into what then were you baptized, he told them, into John, that is John the Baptist, baptism, they replied, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. So, throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit indwells people, Jew, Gentile, anyone and everyone. The Spirit fills these kinds of people, and how do they... What, what is the, one of the, what's the byproduct? Speaking in tongues, right. Now, here's the thing. Is it the only byproduct of being filled with the Spirit? And is it the byproduct that shows up in every single time someone is filled with the Spirit? I've showed you three instances of people being filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. There are 22 in total. Only in three of them do tongues show up. And the rest, all sorts of things. So is tongues a byproduct of the filling of the Holy Spirit? Yes, yes. Every time and every person? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily, but it is one of them. It is an option and availability open to us today. And so on the docket for today, we're going to be looking at this idea of tongues and how it relates to what, what is this? What does it look like? How is it lived into, expressed within the local church? We're going to be getting into all of this and more. These are the big questions that got you out of bed this morning, I know. It's like, how, what is up with tongues? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And so we're going to be over in First Corinthians chapter 14, if you want to begin to turn or tap your way there. First Corinthians chapter 14, and there's a bit of background of what we're, what, what we're jumping into here is we're now jumping into a letter being written by the Apostle Paul decades after what happened at Pentecost, where this Jesus movement has spread all over the known world, and there's this church community that's been planted and growing in the city of Corinth. And so Paul's writing a letter to them to deal with the particular set of issues that are just kind of happening. Every church has its issues. Corinthians had their issues. And so he's dealing with a handful of them. What he gets to in the passage we're looking at today is this kind of hyper-spirituality that had developed within the Corinthian church, where there was a um, tier system that they were understanding one another, it seems, off of who has tongues and who doesn't, who has the assurance that they have the, you know, God indwelling them through the Spirit and measuring that by who speaks in tongues and who doesn't. And because of that, they had this over like, overwhelming um, amount of tongues use within their Sunday gatherings. Where it's just like you showed up and just everyone praying in tongues, they just received it. It's a gift of God, and so we're going to we're going to go crazy with it. And so Paul is writing specifically to address both the pride and arrogance that comes for people who have been speaking in tongues over those who haven't, and also the disorder and chaos that it's been bringing to the local church. Now, this Corinthian problem is one that continues today. Many of us, myself included, have been raised in these kinds of contexts, right? Raised in contexts in which. I just remember at a very early stage, with all of the incredible memories that I have around the work of the Spirit, I also have memories of like failure and shame and guilt for not not speaking in tongues. Growing up, like I'm reading my Bible, I love Jesus. I'm like you know the little like you know Sunday school like kid doing the trivia questions, but like I can't seem to speak in tongues. And so, does that mean I'm like a sub level Christian, right? So some of us are coming out of that where Paul, what Paul writes today is very much for us coming out of that context with all of our questions. But at the same time, I know that most of you aren't, aren't we don't, we, you don't come from the Corinthian problem. You come from the like whatever problem, which is like no experience of it. And if anything, all that you know about it is like the worst case things that you've seen and heard in like stories and movies. And you know, just, for you, like I don't know what it is other than it's insane. And so I'm like terrified of it, and it's weird and it's scary to me. Once again, 1 Corinthians 14, as we listen in on what Paul's doing here, it's also gonna guide all of us in what are tongues and how do they work in the life of the church today. How are we doing? So far so good? Okay, a little bit of a long intro, I know. I'm gonna invite you to join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures today. 1 Corinthians 14. Like with last week, where Paul is in the same chapter going back and forth between tongues and prophecy, we're going to jump around in chapter 14 a little bit, but I'm going to read kind of some of the first chunk to set our time together here and kind of see the flow of what Paul's up to. So 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Desire the stuff the Spirit does, especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands them. They speak in mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesied builds up the church. I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I be of any benefit to you unless I speak to you with revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless musical instruments that produce sounds, whether a flute or a harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speak, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, none that's without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you." Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, since you're zealous for the stuff the Spirit does, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my my understanding, my mind is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit and I will sing praise with my understanding." Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person isn't being built up. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let's pray. Jesus You are present with us. Uh, You have made that known just in our uh, opening time of of praise and prayer to you. So, Jesus, I just pray that you'd continue to be present um, in this time. Um, There are so many questions that some of us have around tongues, some of us coming out of bad experiences, some of us coming out of none, but all of us coming with questions. And so my prayer is that as we look at what Paul writes in um, this letter to the Corinthians, that you would help shape our understanding of this gift, this work that your spirit does in us. Um, but I think the thing I've been praying all week is that this, this would not just be a sermon that speaks to our mind um, or even our, our tongues, so to speak, but something that speaks to the depths of our heart. Um, and so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you administer beyond what my words can do today. Um, help us to understand how... You work in the church, Holy Spirit. You've been doing it for 2,000 years, and so we ask that you went one more Sunday. Would you just come and, and keep doing that work? And let me pray. Amen. Amen. We'll go and be seated. So, 1 Corinthians 14, like you probably noticed, Paul is making his way through, comparing and contrasting prophecy that we looked at last week. So, if you weren't here, go back to our podcast feed and you can listen to that. Get all of you know, Paul's details on prophecy in the church. But he's contrasting prophecy with what we're looking at today, tongues. Now, one of the things that can be misread is seeing that Paul is anti-tongues in this passage. And that's not the case. He's not against the expression that they are doing tongues. His main task that he's taking up with them is how they are doing it, which is a huge difference. Huge difference. Paul's main issue with the Corinthian church is not that they are speaking in tongues, but how they are doing it. So he's comparing and contrasting with prophecy and as he moves on to more of these practices to work through it. But even as he's doing that, he gives us a lot of really helpful details on what are tongues. Look back with me in verse two of chapter 14. What is tongues? The person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Tongues is speaking to God, is a form of speaking to God. Later on in in verse 14, he says, when I pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying, but my understanding is unfruitful. So it's a form of praying with the Spirit apart from the understanding. But what he says even more than that in verse 15 is he talks about being able to, in tongues, is a form of me praying with the Spirit and praising with the Spirit. So just Simply at the beginning, what is tongues? Tongues is pray, it's a form of prayer and praise to God. Like at the very simplified verse. What is tongues? A form of prayer and praise to God. But unlike all other forms of prayer and praise, it is one that as he says in verse two is spoken in such a way that no one can understand it. It's mysteries in the spirit is the word that he uses here. So just, okay, so what is Here we go. What is tongues? A form of prayer and praise to God that is understandable to the one that is speaking it We'll get into this more in a minute, but most often, everyone else that's listening. That's it. There you go, There we go. It's not that scary, right? Just a form of prayer and praise to God. So here's, here's the kind of big thing that could literally, I'm not kidding, be a whole week that we could spend on this, but we're not going to, is the question is, okay, what, what's the content of these mysteries of the Spirit? What's the content of what I'm saying that I don't understand? So there's three, three kind of a range of options here, okay? So the first is that it's earthly languages that are unknown to the one that's praying. So there are all kinds of stories where someone is praying. At, there's a great example story that I heard this week about this. So prayer, kind of like our prayer nights. Someone at a prayer night, they're praying, and they begin to pray in their prayer language. And this couple across from them who um, were just in town or something like that, visiting the church, start weeping. And they kind of like pause. What's going on? Are you guys okay? And they say, Do you, you don't understand what you were, you were just praying. I like, know, no, that's just you know my prayer language. Um, you, so they introduced them. We're, we're planting a church in Paris in like six months. And we're terrified and we're freaking out. And what you just prayed was French. And, and everything that you just prayed was exactly what our hearts needed to hear. Right? So it's an earthly language. That person had no idea Holy Spirit made their prayers be in French. Another great example of this was this um, kind of church, smaller church conference over in Europe where um, well, the speaker was kind of guiding people in a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about. But there was a young man that had come who had been raised in a particular kind of tradition and was completely against all of that. And so he gets up to leave. As he does, they move into a time of this leader praying in his prayer language. And as this boy gets up, he stops. This boy is from, if I remember right, deep in like rural Romania. And the language that he hears is this very like small group of people in the world that use it he starts hearing and pray for it and what he's praying in this language that like no one knows except for apparently this guy now praying it, what he prays and he hears in his own language is um, a, a scripture verse that his dad had tattooed on his back. And so there's this moment where Oh, wow, okay, right? The Spirit is clearly the one at work here. So one of the ones that we see represented in the book of Acts that we read next to is that when we pray praying in tongues, it is the Holy Spirit bringing prayer that we don't understand what we're praying, but it's actually in another human language, okay? The second option is that it is a heavenly or an um, angelic language, as some would put it. So those who kind of point to this would point to um, what we just read, where Paul says they're praying mysteries in the Spirit. They would take that as being it's... You know, heavenly mysteries is what the person is speaking. Or they're going to pull from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, where Paul goes, if I pray, if I speak in the, in the tongue of man or angels, but I don't have love. And then he goes on from there. And so some would say, okay, that, that prayer language is, it's an earthly language, or there's like the heavenly, the angelic thing. And then the third is just, um, one, the way that one commentator put it that I love is, um, pre-conscious utterances. This is that idea in verse 14 that it's a prayer that emanates from the spirit, but doesn't come up into the understanding in the mind. It just comes out as babble is like sometimes the language that might be used for that. So it's just pre-conscious. It's, it's your spirit, soul praying, but it's not going through the brain to put words, words to it. So this is also pulled from those who would read Acts uh, eight, or excuse me, Romans eight verse 26 this way where he says that when I don't know what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit comes and prays these groanings that are too deep for words, right? So there's these three. Now here, here's the thing. Some would say it's one of these, it's two of these, but not the other. I, I am prone to lean towards it being all, all three of these, that the Spirit works, and as he says in uh, chapter 12, verse 10 of First Corinthians, that the Spirit gives not just tongues, but different kinds, different species is the word, of tongues, and so I think we can totally hold to this, but this is super open-handed stuff that for some of you is really interesting um, and helpful, but nobody's losing sleep over this, right? Like this is like, or, or keeping us from pursuing tongues because we believe one or the other. This is just kind of like, what is that thing that happens when the Spirit, when we pray in tongues? So... Okay. Cool. Is this good? You guys? Do you know everybody's tracking right now? Okay. Cool. I know that some of you are like, I have so many questions about tongues, and some of you are like, I don't even know what this is, and so that you just we're building stuff in real time. That's okay. So what Paul does after talking about it being this form of prayer and praise that are spoken. Um, in in such a way that the person doesn't understand what they're praying, no one around them understands what they're praying, but God understands because they're speaking these mysteries in the spirit. He then moves to the question of what are tongues for? Look with me in verse four. He says, the person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. What do tongues do? What are they for? They build up the believer who's praying them. Now, some read this as being negative of like that sounds selfish or individualistic. You do all sorts of things spiritual practices that are for the purpose of building yourself up. The whole point is that we don't over-lean on those things, at the, and that's exactly what he's getting at. So a good, healthy discipleship is I'm leaning into rhythms and in ways that build me up so that I can go then out into the church and be someone who helps build up others. And so you need a good rhythm and relationship of building myself up so I can build up others. If you don't have one of those two in the rhythm, that's where your spirituality begins to it gets frayed. It gets frayed. And so what he just says is, yeah, tongues are great. They build you up. They strengthen you. The language he uses is construction, like a house being built. When, you, when I pray in tongues, it builds the person up who prays in tongues. And his whole point is not that that's negative. It's very good. Life has a way of breaking you down. Things have a way of, of getting slanted over time in your discipleship. Things get worn down. And so this is one of the avenues Paul says that the Spirit comes and takes what's broken and puts it back together again. He fills in what's lacking through this particular form of prayer. Now, is this the only way that the Spirit builds believers up? No, all all sorts of ways, but this is one of them. This is one of them. And so Paul's just going, yeah, this is what it's for. Now, I don't know if I have time for this. I'll just do a quick line about this, and those of you that are interested can come talk to me later. When we talk about what are the purpose of, of tongues, I'm making the case here that it's for the individual believer, down in verse 22 and 23, um, some will interpret what Paul is saying there to be that Paul thinks that tongues are a sign for unbelievers and outsiders. Um, without going into a, a bunch of work on this, I think Paul is making the opposite case. He's actually arguing it's, it's actually the very opposite. And so if you're like, oh, that's interesting to me, you can come talk to me and I'd be happy to geek out with you. I was gonna try to write a little like piece on this this week, but um, I, have, I have kids and so... Um, That's why. So, But I'm happy to take you out to coffee and we can talk about about that. Anyway, so we'll just say for now the purpose of tongues is building up the individual believer who is praying them. But what does Paul say time and again throughout this? Verse 4, the person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up not just themselves, but the church. So in verse 5, is tongues bad then or demonic or evil? No. Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues but especially that y'all would prophesy, right? So just notice he's going, man, tongues are good. Prophecy's greater. There's actually like not all spiritual works of the spirit are created equal. He lifts up and says, greater are the ones that that are building you up while they're building everyone else up in the church. That's why he loves prophecy. He's like, man, when the prophetic happens, it's building you up as the spirit's working through you and someone's on the receiving end and they know what you're actually saying. And so they're able to receive it. Healing is great. Like, it's building everyone up. But tongues, he says, is the only one that it seems isn't directed immediately outward, but is immediately directed inward. that's not a bad thing, but it's something to be aware of. How are we doing so far? Cool. We're all going to speak in tongues in just a minute. Um, uh, Just kidding. Um, Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Let's see. Um, So next, what does Paul do? Okay, next, this is helpful. He goes into and he gives three pictures or portraits of why he thinks prophecy is better than tongues, why he would be apprehensive for tongues place in the Sunday gathering, which is what he's building up to. So he's gonna give three pictures about like, tongues are great, why is prophecy better? Let me, let me give you three pictures of what I'm talking about here. So the first that he does in verse six is he asks the question, what, what is gonna be the most beneficial thing for the church when we get together? And then he gives three examples. One is music, the next is like a military bugle, and then finally is languages. Without diving into these too much, they're, they're fairly plain reading understanding. Music that just doesn't have notes is just what, it's, it's, it's jazz. It's, it's like, it's, there's no understanding to it, right? And I love jazz. You know I love jazz. Um, it's It's bad jazz. But... So this is just a, so a musical instrument that you don't know the chords and the notes and you're not bringing about appropriate distinction between those notes. It doesn't mean anything. In fact, it's, it's chaotic and actually do, it doesn't feel good. Like you don't like listening to that. On the way to, in, to the gathering this morning, Emma was in the back seat and she was talking about how she wants to play guitar and, but she doesn't want to take classes with anyone because her whole point is, I don't want to learn how to play other people's songs. I just want to play my own song. And we were having to walk through her, but, like, you don't know chords. You don't know, like, you. and, and we live in the house right now. There's this little ukulele that you pick up, and it's, it's what, what's Paul, what's the word, that, the language that he uses here? They don't make a distinction. They're unrecognizable as music is what, what happens. Ding, dong, ding, brong ding, right? Like, you're just like, okay, the ukulele's going up for a little while, Right? And so the whole point with Emma is you have to learn chords and notes and how to play because that's what music is. Paul's making the same point here. Tongues without an interpretation is is that is Emma strumming on the ukulele in her room. It's not music. The similar the next example he gives is of a military bugle. You'd play the and then it's okay, charge, or it's like do-doo, and it's like retreat, like get out of here, whatever. And the whole point is if those are unclear, you could have disastrous effects, right? In a military battle. If everybody's like, you know, plays the retreat song, and he's like, that's the advance song. Like that guy's now dead, right? Or if you're at the moment, of, and this is the moment that if we advance and we push on, that we're gonna win the battle and everybody backs up, you, the enemy gets time to like get back together again and you're right back to where, where you began. So disastrous effects can happen when the military bugle is unclear. And he says, what's with tongue? When tongues are prayed in the public gathering, they're unclear, disastrous effects, Right? And then he uses the same thing with other languages, is if I got up right now, and I'm trying to think of a language that none of you knew, I was going to use an earthly one, but if I start speaking in like Klingon or Huttese or something like that, like none of you guys speak that, maybe some of you do, Um, but, but the whole point is like I could get up here and go for like a whole sermon length, speaking in Klingon, and then get done and be like, so what did you guys, what did you think of the sermon today? It's like, we didn't understand any of that. I, oh, man, I, I put so much work in. I thought that was my best sermon yet. we like, we had no idea what you were saying, Ryan. Why? Because we don't, well, there's no, we don't understand what you're saying. And so that's what Paul's whole point is in the Sunday gathering, this speaking in tongues that's happening where everyone's doing it, Paul's going, this isn't being of any benefit except for each of you individually. And then everybody else is like, as, in as much as they can pray in tongues, they can be built up as they do it. But everybody else that's there is just scratching their heads. In particular, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but he says, my main concern here is the outsider or the unbeliever coming into your gathering and they don't know what y'all are doing. They'll think you're out of your minds. What he says is, how can anyone go amen to what you're praying or what you're praising in if they're like, what are they saying, right? Right? The whole point of the gathering is building up one another, that as one person's speaking and leading, the other person is able to sing along. They're able to say amen and agree to what they're hearing. It's just tongues doesn't, doesn't do that when just, when, when just prayed by itself, when just spoken on its own. So then the question then leads us to, what place does tongues have in the local Sunday gathering? What, what place does it have, not in the Sunday gathering, in the life of the local church? Is this meant to just be a private prayer language? How, is this, how does this work out? What does he say? Look, in verse 13, as we seek to excel in building up the church, he says, Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. Pray that he can interpret. In chapter 12, just a couple chapters ago, verse 10, when Paul is listing all of those activities of the Spirit right after talking about speaking in tongues, he then lists as another one of the ways the Spirit works in the church is the interpretation of tongues. And so what he just says is, man, if, if someone's praying in tongues and they do this out loud, that, that what needs to happen is that person needs to pray as they're praying in their tongues, Spirit, do you help me understand what it is that I'm praying right now so that I can share it in such a way that it'll be beneficial for those around me. So that I might bring that prayer or praise so that it's not just tongue speak, but it's actually like English. It's language that everyone here can understand. So this gets picked up again in down in verse 27, where Paul says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two. Or like on a really good day, at most three, no one's speaking in turn in tongues over each other. Each in turn. Like for some of us that were raised in a hyper Pentecostal charismatic background, this is this is really? Like we're just used to everybody speaking in tongues over one another. And like this is in the Bible. Like, I just I found that to be so regular that like so many of us that came out of particular backgrounds with a lot of either hurt or questions or confusion, that first Corinthians 14 is actually incredibly helpful. So Paul says, no more than three on a good day. Everybody goes one at a time and there has to be an interpretation. So just for Paul, public use of tongues, the imperative is interpretation. It's the key. Because the whole reason y'all are gathered together is for the building up of one another in the spirit. And so you need that work. So what does he continue to say in verse 28? But if there is no interpreter, that person is not get dragged out of the building, you know, beaten with sticks and like, don't do that ever again. What does he say? Verse 28, there's no interpreter. That person is to keep silent in the church, the idea being they're not publicly calling out, praying in tongues, and pray to speak to themselves and God. So they can continue to pray in tongues, quietly to themselves in a way that's non-distracting and not public for everyone that's getting in the way of the, of the mutual building up. So we, we do this regularly right now within, uh, even in English, As we're leading in in songs of worship where people will pick up and make a chorus or a verse their own by having their own lyrics there or at times when we're verbally praying quietly out loud, like we were doing this with Lorenzo a little bit. He led us in prayer, and many of us, we were quietly praying to ourselves in English with our understanding. And so the whole point would be, I think Paul would be saying here, "Go, go in those times, absolutely pray. If you have the gift, of pray in tongues. But keep in mind, can the unbeliever or the outsider say Amen. What is building up for the church? And if you don't have an interpretation, then it's not a shame thing. It's let's continue to be, let's lean into what's most beneficial for everyone here rather than what's most beneficial for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the interpretation is key here, um, which there's like so much more that can be said. Um, but we will make sure that I'm saying everything that I wanna say. Yeah, keep silent, pray to themselves in God. Okay, so let's now get into Paul's practice of tongues. So this is Paul's practice of tongues, verses 18 and 19, Paul's practice of tongues. That was a code word for something that we're going to do in the gathering in just a minute that I was signaling for Lorenzo. Um, That's why I said that multiple times. So, okay, we're coming through and we're going, I don't like having weird secrets like that. It's just weird. I should have just said, low, can you go get Jeremy? Anyway, um, so notice what Paul is doing, Okay. So he's worked through the purpose of tongues. He gave three portraits of of why without interpretation, they're just not helpful. He then has doubled down on the necessity of the interpretation in the gathering. And now he's gonna move into talking about his own personal practice of tongues in verse 18 and 19. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. I love this. These Corinthians that are like measuring each other by who speaks the most tongues and like how hard or whatever. He just goes, yeah, I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. The, the inference that many scholars um, in reading the way that Paul addresses the Corinthians is many of them, because they've never seen him do it, assume that Paul doesn't speak in tongues at all. So he goes, you guys have no idea. Me in tongues? Yeah, all, you know, that's, I'm all about it or whatever, Right. He says, but, but, but notice what he does. I, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He, it builds me up. It edifies me. When I'm praying by myself and I, I don't have the words to pray or I don't know how to pray, when I'm just overwhelmed with either sorrow and grief or gratitude and thanksgiving, tongues is the form of prayer and praise that, that I do more than anybody else, right? So Paul, we were talking about this last night with some friends, as far as role models go, is like he's pretty high up there, right? And he goes. I pray in tongues more than anybody. I'm like the super tongues guy, right? It's like what he what he says here. But notice what he does in verse 19. Yet in the church, yet in the Sunday gathering, I would rather speak five words, you know, Jesus is Messiah and Lord, or whatever, you know, right, than ten thousand words in my in tongues. So this is just simply for Paul. This is what he's saying. I'm, I'm crazy about tongues, love tongues, pray in tongues more than anybody else. Yet when I'm in the Sunday gathering, my priority is, is the building up of the church. And so for that reason, I would rather have a five-minute sermon. Some of you are thinking that right now, like a five-word sermon would be great this week. I would rather have a five-word sermon than for me to get up and have this robust, overwhelming time in the spirit where I'm leading the church in tongues because that doesn't build up the church. So again, not anti-tongues. He's going, man, there's a proper time and a place for that. So a little bit about how, how do we then practice this at collective? How are we leaning into this? First, we'll talk about the Sunday gathering here. Based off of Paul's way of uh, approaching and working within tongues, the way that we would probably... Here, here's, here's the wrestle that I have with this, Okay is when Paul's writing this and he's giving space for interpretation within the Sunday gathering, it's very evident that this is a relatively small crowd. Like this is a little house church. Like this is like, think about your neighborhood dinners kind of size. They're gathering for a meal once a week. They're all around one dinner table is what this is taking place. At, at, At most 100, right? And a very small, committed core group of people that are gathering. You know who's there. You know what activities and manifestations and gifts are present within every single one. And so it just seems like it's, he's dealing with something that would be more like the size of like a prayer night or a neighborhood dinner than this, that even has this structure, this many people that are coming in. So that's my, my wrestle here is what would Paul say to a 21st century church like ours that has open door policy for anybody and like half of y'all are at Disneyland every other week. And so it's like, how do we, it's not funny. Um, how, what would Paul say when you have that much of a, You never know who's here. You never know how that's going to be. You have a lot of uh, skeptics and seekers, outsiders and unbelievers that are checking things out. I I honestly think, based off the way Paul says, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 in a tongue. I think he would say, in the life of the church, find opportunities and ways for tongues and their interpretation to be practiced outside of the Sunday gathering. So there are other churches that are faithful, awesome, godly churches that are doing 1 Corinthians 14 stuff really well, like we're trying to. And they would say, yeah, totally in the Sunday gathering. And they would make space for that. When I talk to them, most of them have been on this journey that we're stepping in on right now for multiple years. And there's a level of maturity around people in the practice of of that. And that doesn't mean that we're waiting for maturity. We're just, as of right now, it seems like there are other opportunities and ways for us to still lean into what Paul's talking about here other than the Sunday gathering because again, we want this to be the time where we're most focused on um, building up everyone here. So just hear me. This is not like Lorenzo, Ryan, and Isaac saying, like, we wanna bottle up the Spirit and make him work the way that we want. What this is is us saying, we want to make our Sunday gatherings lean into that which the Spirit has most explicitly said he wants to do which is the mutual building up of the church and not a time for individual building. Does that make sense? Yeah. Why would say that? Okay, so with that being said, like within our Sunday gatherings, like we, at this point, in the same way that we don't make active time for like, everyone just pray really loud right now and like lead, like we just don't do that in English. We also don't, we don't do that in tongues. Um, But that doesn't mean that, like, if you come here, like, like if we overhear you praying in tongues, like, we're going to drag you out and hit you with sticks or something. Like, that, we just just say, we're here for the mutual building of the church. And so, in a place where we're not able to assure that there's going to be an interpreter or an interpretation, if you have tongues, feel free to pray and praise to yourself and God with your tongues. If, If you have that gift, go for it. Go for it. Absolutely go for it. But the main thing is, once again, we're just thinking through. The outsider, the unbeliever, can people, if they overhear what I'm saying, say amen to what to what it is that, that I'm praying? So that would be there. But again, this isn't that we're like anti-tongues. Our prayer night, we have a monthly prayer night where we gather and we just sit, we listen, we pray. It's a space for the prophetic to be exercised and it's a place for tongues and their interpretation to be exercised because we have the time and the space to wait to listen, if someone brings something, to be able to give mention to it. We don't have to worry about really... There's not many unbelievers that go to a prayer night. Like most of them, it's like, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna check out church, they come on Sunday. But we're even in that space, okay, okay let's, let's address that. Let's talk about the gift of tongues. Let's wait for a second. Is there an interpretation here? Yes, okay, cool, then let's, let's share that. If not, okay, cool, let's, let's continue praying and let's, let's continue praying with our understanding, right? And then finally, it would be personally... Is that that sense of Paul saying, if I don't have an interpretation, um, that, that it's good for the building up of the self, and it's a form of me praying and praising to God, and then he used that language of to just yourself and God. And so that would be the private or personal use of tongues, which would be, again, like I said, in the Sunday gathering, to yourself, not in a way that's distracting, or at any other time during the week. And so, like, when you have your morning prayer time, like, go, go, go for it. Go for it. There's no, there's no one else listening in that needs an interpretation of, like, what are they praying right now. And so feel free to go for it. If you're in a time of, like, deep prayer, committed, like, intent, hype, like deep prayer in the presence of God, and you're on, on your face, you know, on the floor in your bedroom praying, and tongues begin to come, then you have no need to, like, does anyone have an interpretation? It's just you and God. It's totally okay, right? So this is that personal um, aspect of that. And so I'll just be blunt. This whole um, sermon for me, for me feels like trying to sell like a trip to Cabo and I've never been. Because um, like, I hear it's lovely this time of year. And it's like, I've never been. I've never seen it before. And what I mean by that is that tongues is in the list of the things that the Spirit does. This is, this is one that the Spirit has not yet, in the words of Paul, distributed to me yet. I say yet with a lot of faith because I want it. I eagerly desire it, but yet. And so what I wanted to do was kind of carve out some space um, to allow someone to share their story um, with with tongues, um, just to kind of give a framework of reference for kind of what this looks like. Um, And so that was what my my secret code to to Lorenzo was earlier. Um, So I'm gonna invite Jeremy. Uh, We're pulling him out of kids ministry to share this with you. So he gets double claps from you guys.
1: What's up, Brian? Hey, bud. Hey, bud. How's it going? Good man, thanks for Good. stepping out of kids ministry. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, happy to share. I, um, yeah, it's so funny, I never thought I would share this story truthfully. So when they asked me, um, yeah, I honestly didn't know how to feel. I mean, you guys have seen me up here before. Um, it's not the public speaking part, it's just that when I had one experience speaking in tongues um, and this was uh, probably like eight years ago at a church called Reality LA, who's our planting church. And this was before I had an Amazing More series, right, where I was studied up on 1 Corinthians 14. I, I didn't know anything about it other than it happened. And if anything, I was probably pretty dubious of the fact of, of it, right, because there's just a lot of stuff out there that seems kind of whack, you know, honestly. And um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to share with you guys kind of like what it was, what it felt like, I guess, um, as best I can. And this was a time uh, during a service that had hit me pretty hard, and it was a time where uh, I was—I remember being in a season of of anguish, right? I was—I was really um, in a season of just like kind of wrestling with God, and also, but also in a time where I was generally, I'd say, uh, taking way greater steps of faith, right? Like really giving my life over to Jesus, really surrendering a lot of the things that I hadn't prior, and um, I ended up getting. Um, during the service, I felt moved to come up to the front and pray on my knees. And I didn't generally do that much, Um, and I was just, again, kind of walking by the Spirit, and what, uh, this was after communion as well, and I remember just on my knees, pretty much kind of like textbook what Ryan was talking about, I was just praying my face off, literally, right? Like, I was just in a very concentrated state of prayer where, I was just praying through things, and what ended up happening was the Spirit just totally shifted my prayers from, I think, like my worldly experience, right, and in, in my anguish, and I just was overwhelmed by this desire to honor Jesus and to, and to praise God, right? And so what ended up happening is I started speaking in English, Quickly, right? Like I was, I was saying like, "Glory to God! You're so good, Lord! I, it, the heavens are, are are full of your praise." And I was, it, I wasn't stuttering, right? Like it just kind of float. And then honestly, what happened is it the sensation was that it felt like my tongue was like getting in the way, almost like my words were like getting in the way of my ability to praise God, my ability to put it into words, you know. And so what ended up happening is I started speaking nons like to me, right, what sounded like nonsense. And, um, but what was so cool was that my heart was extremely positioned to just, it was like, I just couldn't express how much I wanted to praise him, right? And it was just, it was just a very beautiful moment because um, I was just saying these things, trusting that the spirit was moving, trusting that my tongue was saying something and doing something glorifying to God, but I didn't know what, right? And so probably lasted for, like, I don't know, like, 15 or 30 seconds, and maybe it was more. I don't really remember, Um, but I was alone, like, up front, and I didn't know to pray for, like, an interpretation of what that was, but I think kind of what I shared earlier was very much just, like, me just wanting to praise God and give him honor and glory and just doing that to the fullest of my ability, right, and that was, that was literally it. I kind of, like, walked away and I was like that's crazy and all I, read, yeah, I was like that was weird I'm not gonna like I don't know what to share with that I shared with like, a couple close people but yeah I think like really the key word was just I just surrendered my tongue realistically like it was that's what it was and um yeah that's that's my story it's and now I hope it's edifying to you guys you know like that's that's what I pray it is so yeah love you guys
0: that's great Thanks, you thanks Jerry so I'm gonna move in just a moment to um, pursuit of tongues and their interpretation. One, one detail as he was um, talking that I totally forgot to mention earlier is just identifying within his story how the gift and the work of tongues can be for some like a... a one like a one-time kind of thing that just happened at one point in their story that they look back on and they delight in. For some, it comes seasonally at certain times of their lives, and then for some people, it's like an ongoing like gift. It's, it's something that's like always available and open to them. Uh, my mom is is one of those people, where like, or, like she's you know not like at the kitchen table like praying grace over dinner, but like when she's at church or something like that or a gathering, you might overhear her kind of quiet like no, she's gonna be here in a couple weeks, so you guys are all leave her alone. Uh, she's like. <laughs> I want to hear her street Um but um, for her, it's more of like an ongoing um, prayer, you know, language so to speak that she that she regularly pulls on. And again, all of these are the Spirit distributes as He wills, um, and so it's just, man, we want to be open and aware to whatever the Spirit is giving. We we want it. There is nothing, nothing that the Spirit would give us that is not good, um, and so we want all of it. So as we close, talking about the pursuit, uh, the chapter begins and ends, verse 1 and verse 39. You'll see it behind me. Verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love, desire the stuff the Spirit does, tongues, interpretation of tongues included, especially that you may prophesy. And then at the end of the chapter, so then, my brothers and my sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. So just notice what Paul's got here. Beginning and end is an eager desire for all the stuff that the Spirit does. So I wanna talk a little bit about what it means to pursue uh, these these two gifts. Once again, um, speaking as someone who hasn't yet, so I'm gonna be kind of just sharing some of the wisdom that I've heard and that I've been leaning into over the years. And a lot of this being like, there's no how to and there's no appendix in the Bible that's like how to get tongues and it's like a six-step thing, right? We're like, do this, then this. Because once again, it's the Spirit who distributes as he wills. Um, and so the whole point is we are invited to make ourselves open and available to what God wants to do. And, uh, and then that, that's, also, that's all we can do. And the Spirit will distribute as he will. But in light of that, how do we eagerly pursue this? So first for tongues is first just by making space for the Spirit to actually move and to give us what the Spirit wants to do. And so this can be like Jeremy just talked about during the response time of the Sunday gathering, but this can be carving out time or minutes during the week, hours even, to just press into prayer and pursuing what God has for us. Once we're in that space asking God, God, I want to praise you with all of my understanding and also all of my spirit. And so and I, I, I desire this gift that you have, this good thing that you have for me. I, I want this. And so spirit, would you, would you distribute that to me? Would you give it to me? And then like Jeremy said, you just start praying and praising and you're just open to whatever the spirit does. You're not forcing it. You're not saying banana backwards or like doing some kind of weird thing to like make yourself do it. You're just praying and allowing, you're open to what the spirit wants to do, but you're not forcing it, but you're also not inhibiting it and like going this, you know, this is, this is too much praising and prayer for me right now, right? So we just we're open and then you do that until it, until it comes. you repeat. And that's it. That's it. And, uh, and, and, and the whole point is along the way, there's no fear there's no shame, there's no guilt. The only failure in any of this is just not to eagerly pursue what the Spirit has for us. And I'll just say, along the way for me, some of my most like Intimate times in the presence of God have been where, at the beginning of my time of prayer, I prayed specifically for the prayer of to- like the gift of tongues, and then I just prayed and praised for some time, super emotional, feeling all the you know feeling all the, the the presence of God with with me, um, but the whole time with my understanding, and I don't regret a minute of it because I didn't get tongues. Like the goal is praying and praising and that becoming the primary posture of us as believers. And tongues is one way that the Spirit may distribute and empower that, that work. And so we just want to lean into that. And so when I talk about making space for that, I just invite, we're going to do the response time in a moment. But just to consider, if, if you're desiring, just during the week, where can you make space just to pray and praise God verbally and allow the Spirit to move how He wants to? So, like, the real simple way for me is when I walk home a couple times a week, instead of listening to a podcast, like, I just kind of verbally pray as I'm walking home, praying and praising God, just thanking him, bringing up the concerns that I have from the day, and just allowing the Spirit, and he hasn't yet, but, man, I, I don't regret a minute of that. Like, man, I really wanted tongues, though. Like, I wish I would have listened to my podcast. Like, no, I, I got to spend time in the presence of, like, I got to walk home from work with God. And so I just encourage you to think through where can you make space for that. And then interpretation, this one would be largely like for yourself if you already have tongues and you're desiring an interpretation or we're at prayer night and uh, someone prays in tongues and it's like, okay, what do you do? You just ask, Holy Spirit, it's evident that you're doing something in that person or in me, but I want this to be, I I know your desire is for this to be beneficial and upbuilding for everyone. And so just... Listen, Spirit, do you, do you, would you give me a sense of what they're praying? And then if you have something, you, you risk, and I, I think what I'm sensing this person has been praying or praising God about is, is this, or what I've just said is this, and then, and then you share it. So not, not too crazy. Like I said, no banana backwards. There's no like class that I'm teaching this weekend on like how to speak in tongues, right? It's, it's just praying and praising and doing so often enough and as deep and passionate enough that God deserves that then something, something happens. Something happens. And so in light of all that, what First Corinthians 14 truly is all about is from Acts chapter two, from pen, the first Pentecost Sunday, when the church was born, up until 1 Corinthians 14 all the way today, the Spirit is building the church. The spirit is building up the church and he has a myriad of ways that he wants to do that within the church. He brings healing, he brings prophecy, he brings gifts of administration and leadership, he brings words of wisdom and knowledge and visions and dreams, he brings faith and boldness and courage. The the spirit is building up the church and the invitation for us to do is just to, with open hands and a posture of receptivity, say, Holy Spirit, we want all that you would distribute to us. We want to pray and praise you. Like Acts 2 said, we want to extol the magnificent and mighty acts of God in such a way that we together are built up and people would be able to overhear and say, I hear them. I hear them praising and talking about what God is doing. And I I, want to hear more. I want to be a part of that. And so as we move uh, into a time of response today, the, the invitation, even in the midst of a whole sermon on tongues, is just simply how is the spirit wanting to build you up? How is the spirit wanting to build us up? So let's just pray and let's enter into our time of response today.